0: The Boost podcast serves an energetic community of business leaders, entrepreneurs, and individuals who are growth-minded. If you, your business, or organization would like to share your service, product, or expertise with the Boost podcast community, contact Kelly Leonard. Email kelly.leonard at taylor-leonard.com. Again, that's kelly.leonard at taylor-leonard.com.
1: Mm-hmm. Welcome to The Boost Podcast
2: with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's The Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Hello and welcome back to The Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. Today's episode features Claire Chandler. Claire is the founder of Talent Boost, a boutique consultancy fixated on helping the right investors fund and fuel the businesses of tomorrow. She's a tad quirky, mildly sarcastic, and knows how to size up, line up, and rev up businesses to maximize value creation. We cover just about all the parts of Boost, so let's dig in. Hey Claire, welcome to the Boost Podcast. Thanks, Kelly. It's great to be here. Yes, it is indeed great to have you here. And so for folks who are tuning in and who are not familiar with Claire or Talent Boost, give us a little bit of background.
1: Sure. So uh, my name is Claire Chandler. I'm president and founder of Talent Boost, which I established in 2013. Um, And basically, I specialize in helping businesses grow responsibly, whether that's one leader at a time, one team at a time, or one acquisition at a time.
2: Wow. Awesome. So it sounds like scale is in the future of anyone, anyone who's listening right now, we're going to be sharing some information to help them scale. So um, I'm excited for that. So what would you say, let's just dig right into it. What would you say is one of the most important things business owners must get right in order to grow?
1: Yeah, and, and that's the key, right, is, is growing and scaling the right way. Um, to me and my experience and all the businesses that I've, that I've worked with, what always uh, comes up as the biggest secret to success when scaling and the biggest landline, if you don't get it right, is mission clarity. Hmm. Um, and that's, you know, when I say mission clarity, I don't mean you've got to have a really well articulated mission statement. That's fine for your website. But just be really crystal clear on what it is that you're in business to accomplish and where you want to get to in terms of your point B. The clearer you are on that, the much more likely you are to be successful.
2: Gotcha. And I'd imagine that um, that clarity is super important if you're a solopreneur. But how does that translate into like if you've got a team, like how important is it for the team also to have alignment and that clarity?
1: Oh, it's absolutely essential. You know, when I, when I was a first time manager, uh, one of my colleagues gave me a great piece of advice. He said, you know, just get really, really clear on why you are, why you've been put into that role, what it is that you are supposed to accomplish. And once you've got that clear in your mind, it's going to make your day to day decisions, how you communicate with your team, how you react to setbacks a lot easier if you keep your eye on that horizon. So that always stuck with me. So then
2: practically speaking, what does that look like though? Like how do you then translate the clarity and alignment that you have to someone else? Because as you, you know, are growing a team and as you have more people, it's like how do you keep that in front of them so that there isn't that ambiguity?
1: Yeah, so important, right? And and obviously one of the one of the key words there is communication. Mm-hmm. But I think before you even get to the step of um, messaging both formal and, and informal you've got to take that mission and you've really got to break it down and say okay if that's where we've got to head to if that's what we are in business to achieve what do we need fundamentally, right? What are the absolute fundamental skills and capabilities and competencies and experiences that we have to possess and demonstrate to move closer to our goal? And that's just, you know, yet another step forward. And once you've got kind of that that list, if you will, of those fundamentals, then you have to take a really critical look at Which of those are current gaps for you and which are current strengths? Um, you know, and then obviously the key between that is you, you then have to fill in those gaps in those fundamentals, right? Those mission critical fundamentals, capabilities, et cetera, and leverage your strengths. So there's, there's a lot of work that goes into just because you clarify the mission doesn't mean you'll automatically accomplish it. Mm-hmm. But once you do that, you identify your fundamentals, you key in on what your gaps are, um, then you can start to message to your team because then you can say, you know, we're making this decision because it gets us closer to our mission. Or we're making this decision, we're saying no to that decision because it's going to help us, you know, play to our genius zone and, and keep moving forward toward our mission. So it's, it's so fundamentally important to get that mission right and to be consistent with how you communicate it to your team so that they all know what the rules of the road are and and what they're fighting for.
2: Yeah. And I'd imagine, um, you know, because of course we view everything through uh, COVID lenses now and the fact that so many Mm -hmm. people are working remotely. So how have you seen sort of this virtual or um, remote work play into this this clarity of of mission and, and ensuring how do we practically ensure that the folks on our team, that there is alignment?
1: Yeah, such such an important question. And I think the distance that the COVID era has imposed on us, um, you know, first of all, it kind of created this myth of, well, we're sort of physically distanced, but we've got technology to keep us together. And, you know, some companies have made the mistake of sort of leaning on that technology as a crutch. And I think, you know, teams are are really understanding now, those leaders, those teams, those companies, that had that clarity of mission before COVID threw their world off its axis um, found it much easier to stay connected to the team Mm. and keep that team connected to the mission, right? Because then they're not, um, that sort of, physical ability to check in on people and, and you know, knock on doors and go into offices and pull the team together in a quick huddle kind of went away. And yeah, we've got Zoom and we've got teleconferences and we've got all of that. But it really forced um, a lot of companies to reassess how they were communicating to and connecting with their people.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's been an interesting... um time to navigate in light of um, COVID. I mean, it's just, it really does add complexity to the way that we interact and support one another. Um, on 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 a different topic, because I know part of what you also do in helping organizations grow, you also help them to identify the right types of investors. So, How does a small business or or a business of any size, for that matter, know when they're ready to take on an investor?
1: Yeah, man, what a critical question, right? Because any, you know, the companies, the smaller a company, the greater the ripple effect of a bad decision, right? Mm. Larger companies, larger organizations can absorb one bad hire, one bad move, a bad financial quarter a lot more easily than these small companies that are, that are still kind of scrappy and trying to grow. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that when a small business or a startup or a you know a, a company in what I would call the tweeny phase, right, just starting to mature, um, when they have decided that to get to the next level, they need the help of some level of investment, whether it's series funding, whether it's uh, you know outright acquisition. It, it again comes back a little bit to that mission clarity, but it also comes back to really solid awareness of what their competitive advantages are and what their potential risk flags are. So I mentioned before fundamental gaps, right? That translates on a business level to what are the risk flags um, that could be a reason that the right investor is going to be turned off and not feel like we are a good investment. So it's really important that they identify um, what those competitive strengths are mm-hmm. so that they can attract the right investor into their orbit and resolve any risk flags that might scare away that right investor.
2: Are there common sort of risk flags that, that immediately that you have seen where it's like, ooh, you, <laughs> that's a deal breaker right there? Are, are there are there ones like
1: that? Yeah, um, it, it may surprise you and it may not that the biggest risk flags, Relate to the, the capacity and the capability of the people within the business. Mm. And I think from a, you know, from the investor side of things, um, it, it, in my experience and the conversations I've had and the work that I've done with the private equity community, they're still kind of over indexing on the, t- what I would call the tangible assets, right? So they're, they're, they kind of go in with their due diligence process and they count up the headcount and they count up the, the customers. And they, you know, they want to get a sense of what kind of legal actions um, might be pending that we need to be aware of. You know, what's the, what's sort of the financial performance over the last couple of years, but they don't do a good job of really evaluating are the people within this business, especially at the top management level, capable? And do they have the capacity to take this company to the next level?
0: Mm. So
1: the biggest risk flags in my experience Have not been around, um, you know, sluggish uh, uh, customer growth or even market conditions. It really tends to hinge upon. The quality and capability of the people within the company.
2: And, you know, that's really interesting, Claire, because now I'm reminded of the fact that, and I'm sure you've heard it, like the great resignation and how there's this flight yes. from different organizations. <laughs> so how then does an investor even mindfully or realistically measure that? Because you just don't know. You can't get into a person's head to know whether or not, okay, they're in this for the long haul versus you know, they've got, you know, whether it's COVID fatigue or just like in general, they, they don't feel like the work that they're doing is fulfilling. How do you, how does an investor potentially, well, I guess, or the business mitigate its yeah. risk from that flight?
1: And it's so interesting that you just expressed it that way that, you know, there's, that you can't measure those sorts of things. And and honestly, it's a huge misconception. Um, and I was just having this conversation with a client yesterday who said, you know, we We just uh, previous to us working together, they had just acquired a company and they said, you know, we've got this this great growth strategy for taking this company that they just acquired to the next level. Mm -hmm. And they were shocked to find that once the ink was dry on the deal that they went in and the culture of the company they acquired was highly resistant to making any of the changes necessary to implement and to fulfill that growth strategy mm. and so investors are thinking you know they kind of walk in with a lot of ego right because they're like the money folks and they're yes. like hey listen I've got a way out of your forest and I'm the answer to you know you kind of scaling up and yeah. getting to that next level and to your to your point what if the people within that business just flat out aren't motivated to take it to the next level but mm. the good news of that is you actually can measure motivation. Hmm. Um, you can measure what, uh, you know, internally drives individuals. And as we know, individuals are what collectively make up a company culture. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at at a group level, you can kind of aggregate what you measure at an individual level to say, yes, this this company has a high percentage of people with the, you know, not just the intellectual horsepower, but the motivation to align with the strategy of where we want to take them. Um, so it is a huge misconception and I'm so glad you went there because it's, it's a myth that I am, you know, really passionate about dispelling in the investment community and in the business community that you can't measure the, the motivations behind the people in your business. So,
2: because now I, if, if you were to see my face, I <laughs> have this, curious now, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I have this look of confusion, like, okay, what, so is it a tool or something? Like, how, how do you measure
1: it? Yeah. So it, it is a, um, it's experience and analysis that is informed by a science driven tool. Huh. So that was a that was a really wordy answer, but my, so part of my practice I have um a uh, a set of assessment tools mm-hmm. that I use. And a lot of people have heard of DISC, mm-hmm. right? And yep. a lot of people have heard of Myers-Briggs yep. and other things. So the tool that I use is a it's sort of like DISC on steroids. Um and part of that tool actually measures at an individual level what their internal motivators or their internal reward system
0: Hmm. is
1: made up of. So we can evaluate that at an individual level and say, you know, this person X is primarily motivated by making sure that the team wins, that they're not looking for individual glory, but they want to make sure the team wins. They're also open to, you know, continuous improvement. They love to learn. So these are things that we look for. And like I said, once you do that at an individual level, when you bring that together collectively, you can truly evaluate. And that's where the analysis part comes in. You know, the tool is just one one sort of uh, leading edge to that. But Mm -hmm. then you've got to kind of break down that data and say, so as a group, this business is or is not, um, you know, stocked with people that are motivated in the direction that you
2: want to take them. Wow. So that actually sounds like something that an organization would want to like sort of implement or understand on a year by year basis. I mean, because it, it it sounds like a really useful tool to help with not only the organization's current state, but also the, so stability as well as scalability to say, okay, do I have the right People in positions who are motivated to so now okay so now I'm having all these light bulb moments because (laughs) now I see how that then lends itself really well to the mission clarity and all that other good stuff. So what other myths? Because I know you mentioned that that's a myth that you like to to break. What are other? What are some of the other the big myths about attracting investors?
1: Yeah, I, I would say the other big one, and and you had already drawn out the the biggest one was that you know we can't actually measure what kind of goes on in the hearts and minds of the people. So we've we've hopefully busted that one for your audience. Mm -hmm. I think the second biggest myth, though, is that money is going to solve everything, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think this is a myth and a misconception on both the investor side and on the startup side. If they think, you know, the only reason that I haven't taken this business to the next level, or, you know, from the investor perspective, the only reason this company hasn't gotten, you know, uh, to to the next point in their evolution is because they haven't had the right funding, but I think you know you, you're you're definitely seeing through this conversation that just because you write a blank check, if that team doesn't have the capacity, if they don't have the motivation, if they're you know, and and then this comes back to mission clarity, if their why right? So Simon Sinek has, has built an entire mm-hmm. um, sort of institution around this or a brand around why. But if your growth strategy and the the motivation and the purpose behind the investor does not align with where the company that you're acquiring or invest, uh, investing in truly wants to go, they're going to, and, and I know if, if there are any investors in your audience, they're sitting here nodding and going, yep, this is absolutely what we have faced, right? We acquire a company, we walk in with this brilliant growth strategy, and we're shocked as, as anything that the managing team in that company isn't falling at our feet going, oh my gosh, what a brilliant growth strategy, we can't get to, you know, cannot mm-hmm. wait to get behind it. Um, it's because there was a mismatch there. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that we can avoid that mismatch and that cultural, dig my heels in, resist change at every turn by measuring that up front. So
2: then how can businesses be sure to attract the right investors?
1: Yeah, it, it, it comes back to, and you used that word alignment earlier, it truly comes back to making sure that the strategy that you have as an investor, or even as, you know, the founder and the top management team for seeking that investment, that why you are truly going after that funding or that outright acquisition aligns with where you want to go. Um, That is equally important to making sure that the, you know, and I don't mean to beat the dead horse, but the internal motivations between the top management team in that company and the the people sort of driving the the funding and the investment on the investor side are aligned. If they're incompatible, it's like a bad marriage.
2: Mm -hmm. Got it. Wow. Wow. Now, and I know, um, because I'm sure folks are listening and they're just like, wow, okay, the disc on steroids tool, where do I find (sighs) that? Or is there any, like, do you have any tools or anything like, and I know you offer a number of sort of checklists and free information on your website. Tell us more about sort of the profit levers and then the the risk flags checklist that you offer.
1: Yeah. So uh, there is this checklist that I offer um, and anyone can go and download it for free at talentboost.net slash levers. And it is a fairly extensive uh, checklist that will help investors on that side, as well as Businesses, startup, or even large organizations identify what are their top two to three what I would call profit levers, and what are their top two to three risk flags. And this again aligns to you know what we talked about before: what are your fundamental gaps? What are the things that if you don't resolve them before you? you know, ink a deal with the investor or the, or the business being acquired. And, the, you know, the, the profit levers as well are really important because those are your competitive advantages. But really the, you know, the, the torpedoes and those ticking bombs, if you will, that are waiting right underneath the surface are those risk flags.
0: Mm. So
1: this checklist literally will walk you through um, 11 different categories that drive performance and profitability. And so anyone can download that checklist and, you know, follow that uh, and, and really kind of give themselves a little bit of a self audit on, you know, where are we potentially exposed that we need to resolve these things before we, um, you know, sign on with an investor. Wow. And so have you found, um, are there particular like
2: hot Um, like business types, industries where you see like investors are really paying a significant amount of attention right now amid like COVID and what's going on?
1: Yeah. um, You know, it's interesting because the the private equity activity is at an all time high. Mm. Um, We have never seen, particularly in the U.S., this level of private equity and venture capital activity Ever. Like it, wow. it, it's been unprecedented. I don't know if that is um, sparked by COVID. Likely it, it has created some opportunities for savvy investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's been fairly industry agnostic. Um, I would say a lot of the bigger investors are getting more involved in the uh, environmental and energy industries. Mm-hmm. Um, some are starting to dabble in, in biotech, certainly. Others are looking at more of the engineering and manufacturing industries. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so there's really, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it, if you've got some money to play with on a, on a higher scale than just wanting to flip houses, um, <laughs> it is a very hot market right now to be in private equity.
2: Wow, interesting. Claire, this has been so insightful and just thank you so much for this rich information. If someone's listening and wants to, just sort of circle back to you and and get your help with, Perhaps they're an investor or maybe they're a small business that just needs help navigating this whole process. What's the best way for folks to reach out to you?
1: Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so they can look for me there. But honestly, the fastest way to get in touch with me, just send me an email. It's claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, at talentbooth.net, and let's set up a time to talk. And especially if you're interested in those assessment tools that I mentioned, um, they will really open doors and open eyes for, for anybody who's interested in using them.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, wow, it's encouraging to hear that the market is booming.
1: It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. The right investor is out there for the businesses who want to grow. And I think the right companies are out there for the investors who want to get behind them.
2: Excellent. Thank you.